Uh, I'm delighted. Uh, I'm about to introduce you to a man who's made his life developing puzzles. And they, they describe puzzles as brain food. And one man whose brain must be likened to that of a supreme athlete is Dr. Mark Wood. He spends his days and often his nights developing puzzles and solutions. He's been sitting in front of me, putting things together, showing me things. Automatically, I've tensed up thinking I don't quite understand. Um, but we're going to be talking puzzles with Dr. Wood, who's been staggeringly successful. And I also want to ask you about... Uh, about the kind of puzzles that occupy your mind, whether you play them, whether you you you, you believe that uh, well, there's probably a time in your life you did with great enthusiasm. Do they get harder as you get older, or do you have to really commit to them? And does anyone spend a lot of time on the thousand-piece jigsaw anymore? Dr. Mark Wood, good morning to you. Morning, Jeff. It's you, good to be here. You are a man with a very interesting background, and I'm not quite sure where to start. I'm not sure to, whether to call you a psychologist or yes, a psychologist. An inventor? Inventor, yes. And Perth is your home because kids. My, that's right. I have grandchildren here up in Craigie. Yep. And uh, so I thought I'd settle in this part of the uh, country. Okay. You've won numerous puzzle prizes. And just recently, uh, two of the Dr. Wood Challenge Centre prizes have won awards at the US Dr. Toy Awards. Can you tell us really about this whole area and, and the kind of competitions you enter? Well... The competitions are really for the best products in terms of developing the mind. Oh, we have multiplicity built into our products so that the more you think, the better it is, and yes. you can apply your thinking to a variety of challenges. Now, we have one in Australia, the Game of the Year and the Puzzle of the Year, and that was a bit exciting as we were the first company to take out both awards yes. in uh, in its history. Uh I do the mind developing uh, puzzles more, and my colleague Frank does the um, games. Okay, he's a mathematician. He's a mathematician uh, physicist. So, so is the key to building a good puzzle the psychologist plus the mathematician? Well, there's a variety of directions that the impulses come. Some are creative, some are mathematical, uh, some are serendipitous. So you actually uh, uh, have a difficulty in trying to describe the thought processes because they're so diversified. The mathematician is particularly important in counting the number of ways that you can do a given challenge, but a computer or mathematics actually can't be involved in the creation of the concept. So the concept comes from a different realm. It can come from history, from art, psychology. Okay. Can you describe these games for our listeners? Much better you than me, I think. Well, the one I was showing you here, which is a baby elephant, the black baby elephant here. It essentially looks like a, a, a red and black checkerboard configure. Well, well, black, red and black checkerboard at, at its simplest. Yes. There are 18 pieces, which is the maximum way you can cut up a chessboard into pieces and have each one constructed of squares, little squares like ominoes. The omino that most of us know is a domino. And so... Even when you said an <clears> omino, <throat> I, I wasn't going to correct you thinking you'd mispronounced it. What is an omino? Well, one square. Okay. And so a domino is two. Okay. Tromino is three. Tetromino, you may know the game Tetris on yes. the computer, which yep. is composed of four squares, the four little items that uh, drop down. So, for example, that's a Tetris shape. Yes, it is. I recognize so, that. Uh, quite a few of the shapes in this puzzle are, in fact, Tetris-like shapes. And then there's one octomino, which I call the magic wand. 
<laughs> that is eight squares. When you wave that magic wand, what happens? Well, you've done 12.5% of the challenge, so you can feel very successful if you can find a way to put it down in the puzzle correctly. Tell me, <coughs> what, is it, what is it that we are trying mm. to achieve? Uh, what is it you're trying to achieve when you build a puzzle? Well, in this particular one, the Kaleidoscope Classic, we actually have a whole series of them, uh, different puzzles and different games. But in the Kaleidoscope Classic, which I use with um, mind development, gifted and talented, etc., the idea is to find the various uh, abstract concepts that are built into the product. Mm -hmm. So as you unfold them, you have the aha experience. Yes. And you can apply that thinking to novel situations. And that makes it a, a little bit of an exciting journey. Yeah. Generally speaking, when you do a puzzle, it's what I call idiosyncratic. It has one challenge and one solution, and you do it, and it goes on the shelf. In, and you can't apply your surprise thinking, the aha experience, to another circumstance with a similar puzzle because there isn't one. So you put the Rubik's Cube on the shelf, or you put the little nails that you've undone on the shelf, and you can say to somebody else, oh, I can do that, or I can't do that. Yes. But in this case, you actually abstract principles and then can apply them to novel pictures. So what you've been able to do as someone who invents puzzles and games is, is to take us to other levels. Exactly. So, so the, the, the Rubik's Cube is not just completed and, and you say put it on the shelf. Um, I guess we see that in video gaming these days too. Aren't they built on that on that kind of premise that you have the aha of getting to a certain point and then it, with in, in those situations i guess the idea is that the game eventually beats you do you still beat the game here no in this case you actually uh, continue to develop and you your unique contribution is valued and what we develop here so hopefully is fast minds rather than fast forefingers yes good so. man uh, my guest this morning is dr mark wood we're talking about uh, the world of puzzles and games um are they brain food definitely brain food dance and do puzzles keep alzheimer's at bay mm -hmm. dance and do puzzles and uh, keep alzheimer's at bay did i say that that's brilliant. Is that what you reckon? Uh, definitely. It's they a beautiful talk, phrase, dance and do puzzles and keep Alzheimer's at bay. Well, it uh, seems to be, they've looked at crosswords, they've looked at a number of activities, and if you keep the mind active, use it or lose it, it applies to the mind as well. Mm. Now, as a psychologist, do you look at something like Sudoku and say, that's a brilliant mathematical puzzle? Oh, it definitely is. Uh, however, it is uh, sort of limited in that it mainly appeals to those who just look at numbers. Yes. Whereas uh, what we try to um, come in on are colors, shapes, creations. So within the conceptions that you can put on this, uh, you get animals, letters, religious concepts, philosophical, political. It's uh, a bit exciting from that Wherever your mind wanders, this seems to be able to wander with you. It's almost amorphous. Yeah. Um, what was the first puzzle that you would have played with? Or, or as, as human beings, is it, is it a, a three- or four-piece jigsaw puzzle when we're very small? Well, because life is a puzzle, and uh, a baby, a child comes into a, a puzzling array of sounds and sights and smells and has to then put them together into meaningful holes, you could say that puzzles are around us all the time. We 
probably identify as parents giving our children puzzles, the simple jigsaw puzzles or fill them in puzzles, the yes. wooden plates where you put in a duck in the right shape or mm -hmm. you put in the um, various um, pictures to create nursery rhymes. Or maybe the blocks, if you have uh, a dozen blocks and together they make a picture of a fairy tale. And so you have to turn the right side up. Or um, What are we teaching our children with those puzzles? And is what you're doing a, um, an extension of that concept? Well, we are probably teaching uh, an array of things. It depends on uh, the particular puzzle. Sometimes we're teaching colors. Sometimes we're teaching shapes. Sometimes we're teaching... Um, a logical consequence that if you have a, a road on a map and you put the puzzle piece in that the road continues and so you say well logically this should go here or that a certain shape will, should go into a certain hole and so you're teaching an array of um, mental functions uh, using more challenging situations. How do you do it? How do you work out what your next great puzzle idea might be? Is it like a a Beatles song that came to Paul McCartney in the night and he writes it down? Or are you continually looking at different configurations? How, how does it work? All of the above. Yeah? So sometimes in the middle of the night, I'll wake up, uh, turn the light on, and uh, go into a new conception on the board. Sometimes it's tangential to one that already exists. So, for example, if I have this elephant, I might say I want the elephant in the Australian sun. And so I must yes. find a solution that will put the sun where it's uh, comfortable. Yeah. Or I might say, well, and I also want water. So then I develop water. Yeah, now interesting uh, with those things, and I'll refer to them as ominos. You turned over an individual uh, an individual tile to reveal the blue of water and the yellow of the sun. Well, that was a tetromino, actually. Oh, I didn't say I see no, your sleight of hand. Yeah, You're a magician as well, aren't well, you? Yeah? A bit, yes. You're a very crafty character. Honestly, his sleight of hand there was good. But if you'd like to see the elephant drink, in this particular case, I had to find a special solution that would allow our elephant to have a drink of water. Yeah. We've seen the trunk lowered, so he's now closer to the water. Dr. Mark Wood is my guest. We're talking puzzles, and I'm wondering the importance of puzzles in your life, or is it, are they the kind of things that belong to your youth? one three hundred triple two seven twenty. And are there still people among you who sit down at a dining room table with a 5,000-piece jigsaw and do a bit of work on it? one three hundred triple two seven twenty. What's the best game in the world, Dr. Wood? Wow. <laughs> because you know what? Uh, I don't reckon there's a question I can ask you on this subject, but you can't present an answer very quickly. Well, so, uh, that's true because it would be in the eye of the beholder. Sure. And so you have some that are extremely difficult, mm -hmm. and the pleasure is in being able to solve it when no one else can. Yes. In other cases, it's the beauty of the finished product. The br yes. Now, there are some Chinese puzzles that are intricate uh, wooden puzzles that look beautiful sitting on the coffee table. Yes. And just to put them together is quite a thrill because you're adding to beauty in the house. Yeah. Or you might do a great work of art. And so you take one of these 1,000 or 5,000-piece uh, puzzles and if you do it in tandem with a family or friends over a weekend, yeah. it gets very exciting. Yeah. Then you can glue them to a backboard and put them up on your wall. And so you have the beauty of a Monet or yes. whatever the artistic um, person you decided to um, use. And uh, then you have the social aspect. So you write the names down, put it on the back. Now, some people, once they've done it, it's over. 
Yeah. So then they give it to Goodwill or somebody else. Uh, and so for them, it's that particular moment. Uh, for others, it's the fact that they can do it, but other people can't do it. Yes. And for some people, it's the uh, conquering something unusual, but then sharing it. Okay. And so they like to give it to someone else to do. I'm still going to try and get you to answer the question as specifically as I can. Um, the inventor of the crossword, the, um, uh, the the games and puzzles that have gone to, to uh, the furthest audiences have degrees of complexity. Is there one above others that you just think, my goodness, that's a, that is the most splendid of concepts? Well, it's, it's actually multidimensional. Now, you have things like the mazes, the Hampton Court maze in England. <laughs> yes. You have Archimedes with the loculus of Archimedes, which I've modified, and um, that's the... Um, puzzle of the year in the United States yeah. in the, for the uh, vacation uh, toys under the Dr. Toy thing. Uh, and that was also usable for teaching the elements of geometry. Now, in 1760 in England, uh, John Spillway, I believe it was, discovered the jigsaw puzzle. And yes. so from the first time we were able to put jigsaw puzzles together, which sounds strange that it was so late. In the Orient, tangrams, which are a series of triangles and squares, seven pieces, and you put those together in different forms, and they actually look like things in our everyday world that yes. we recognize. Yes. That's been popular for, oh, let's say, 300 years in Japan and China. So some of these things are slightly culturally based. Yes. And some of them have exciting histories. Now, Archimedes is older than the New Testament for the loculus of Archimedes. Others are like the um, pentominoes. The pentominoes, which are squares, five squares at a go, were actually patented in the United States in 1959 by somebody. Yes. And you'd think something as elemental as just connecting squares. Yes, had been around for much longer. Exactly. It's curious, isn't it, that, that some of those concepts take such a long time to, to, to hit us hit us in the eye, I guess. Uh, you'd be an interesting bloke to be around on a winter day. <laughs> you'd always find things to do. But I just wonder, if I sat down with you now and we had a, I don't know, I haven't done a jigsaw for years, but if we had a 5,000-piece jigsaw, after a period of time, would you have, while I'd still be there going, um, I think that blue is similar colour to that blue, while I'd still be messing around with that, would you have no, pursued a path that has been very structurally very sound? Would you have built the infrastructure of the jigsaw? No, you and I would be working pretty similarly. We'd look for the uh, objects like a house or a tree and look at that first. We'd also probably do the outside because of the straight lines, get the outside, and we'd probably work in. No, our our, our ways of working would probably be very similar. Yeah, but I'm assuming you would be much better at all these puzzles because you've created them than, than certainly me, but than, than most people. Well, an array of puzzles with novel uh, challenges and novel solutions, it's possible that I have would have a greater facility. But if we're talking about something that we would use similar strategies on, there may not be a great deal of difference. Okay. I think we should take some calls. There's some headphones there. Would you just pop those on? Um, because we've got some interesting, uh, interesting callers. This is Philippa. Good morning. Oh, good morning, Jeff. How are you? Good, thanks, Philippa. Dr. Mark Wood is here. What did you want to say? Well, I wanted to say that um, I didn't realise that my son was colourblind and he was too embarrassed to tell people that he, he couldn't see colours. And so I'd give him games and things for Christmas and birthdays, like, you know, and um, jigsaw puzzles, and he just didn't get it. And I didn't, and I was, he was only about 
eight or nine when I realised that he was colour blind. And um, as I say, there's, lot, there's lots of games that they don't have, you know, mm. with the Rubik's Cubes, those sort of games which depend on colour. Any suggestions there? Yeah, um, I'd say numbers or or coded in numbers or, or something like that as well as colour. Yeah, Philip, just hang on. Let's see what uh, Dr Wood has to say. For someone who cannot differentiate colour, are there puzzles that are well suited? Well, it's a, a, an interesting point and it's uh, certainly well brought up that uh, a number of people are suffering from um, uh, colour disabilities and may not get picked up uh, by their parents uh, soon enough and so they are being presented with challenges that are uncomfortable. But there are also an awful lot of puzzles that are tactile and that you can, uh, like the Chinese puzzle I mentioned yes. earlier, wooden puzzles, uh, there are twisted nails or uh, magicians, uh, things that you uh, can touch and turn. The one that has won the Puzzle of the Year in Australia for 2008 from the Australian Games Association is, we call it Heist. And in fact, you can feel your way to it because mm. uh, you do a checkerboard, but the pieces are uh, alternately um, structured in such a way you can feel them and the color is not important. Uh, you can feel your ways to the gemstones as well. So there are a number of them, and you'd have to be aware of uh, the, let's call it, uh, tactile aspects. Yeah. Philippa, thanks for your call. Hi, Paula. Hi. Um, I'm an artist, and um, my friends quite often say that um, I'm not using my mind, and that's probably why I'm losing it. But um, with art, um, you have to actually find out um, now, where was I? And find that spot and then go to it. You can't always finish a painting in one go. So is that good for my mind? I would say... We don't know your mind intimately, Paula, but, but what, what do you think? It's a creative pursuit? I would say your creative pursuit, for sure, is one of the aspects of the mind to develop, and there are so many ways that we subsume under the term uh, artistic pursuit. For example, you may be interpreting the world in such a way that you wish the pu people who are viewing your art would also interpret it, and so the accuracy of that interpretation will be an important challenge for you. And you may test it on a number of your friends. Are they actually feeling what you're feeling when you create this uh, communication? Do you do that, Paula? No, actually, I, what, what I paint is what um, what I paint from is what you see. I'm actually a, re um, a realistic painter. Okay. So um, there's nothing hidden in it. It's not. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't been able to put something of myself in there. I can only really. I'm called a, um, a real. Something I've forgotten the name. Okay. Anyway. No, that's okay. Uh, in fact, the realism is a kind of communication, and it's incredibly tricky to abstract out of the billions of impulses that are out there in reality. So when you and I look at a tree or a street scene, and we actually were to record all of the information that's out there, it would take us virtually years to record just that. But what do you abstract in terms of the reality and take this part of the tree? For example, you probably don't put the same number of leaves on your tree as the tree that was outside the window. Uh, etc. So it's already an abstraction, but you elicit in the person who's seeing it a feeling of realism, and so you're actually communicating your feeling of what you're seeing to the person who's receiving it. 
It's been a great pleasure having you in this morning, Dr. Mark Wood. And uh, so interesting to know that uh, a man doing what you're doing with great success uh, is living in our midst. Thank you very much for coming into the studio. Thank you kindly for having me. His name is Dr. Mark Wood, and I'll be interested to take your calls after 11 o'clock on the world of puzzles. Um, uh, I love puzzles, and so do my six- and nine-year-olds. We've just bought 2,500-piece jigsaws to do in the holidays. Coming up after 11, we've got School Watch, Neighbourhood Watch, Rural Watch, Coastal Watch. I'm about to tell you of the latest watch that's about to come into our lives. You're with Jeff on The Morning Show. Make sure you stay with me after the 11 o'clock news.